authority doesn't want to say what is the right thing to do, but it's rather to highlight that art could be used as a tool. And, uh, you know, like there are many projects that are, uh, for example, really situating at boundaries of what is legal and what is not. Welcome to Warfare of Art and Law, the podcast that focuses on how justice does or doesn't play out when art and law overlap. Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. And that was Alessandra Saviati, archive researcher and curator with Arta Util. She and fellow researcher and curator Dr. Hema Medina are this month's guest. Building on a prior conversation I had with Alistair Hudson from the Whitworth and Manchester Galleries, Dr. Medina and Ms. Saviati share how art is a call for thinking and how Arta Util, created by Cuban artist Tanya Bruguera, is a call for action to see what change is possible through art. We discuss the Arta Util archive and museum that challenged the public to shift from spectators to users. And we discuss the vocabulary developed as part of the formation of Arta Util. We also go into case studies within the archive, like Please Love Austria, a project that simulated the Big Brother reality show to test the temperature of Austrians on the issue of asylum seekers, and A Legal, a project that Mr. Hudson also touched on in his interview that deals with the activities in gray zones not yet regulated by law. And we close with thoughts on how the collaborative approach encouraged by Arta Util facilitates justice, with an example being given that dealt with an art campaign to address human rights violations in an Illinois prison in the 2010s that was credited with legislative change to give a voice to those incarcerated individuals. Dr. Hema Medina and Alessandra Saviati, welcome to Warfare of Art and Law. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Stephanie, for uh, having us. It's a pleasure. Would you start with an overview of what Arta Util is and how you both came to be involved with it? Well, uh, the idea of Art Util was initiated by the artist Tania Bruguera when she was developing a long pedagogical project, uh, an alternative art school called uh, Catedra de Arte de Conducta, Behavior Art School in La Habana, Cuba, between 2002 and 2019. It was inspired by some of the questions that uh, started with her own practice, and it unfolded with multiple discussions and with other artists and art students, mostly uh, around the function of art within society and its relation with socio-political issues, the possibilities of art to have a real impact on society. And I think that she uh, sometimes has mentioned that it, it came even from this frustration against the general perception of art as being just art. So they really started to use the term arte útil, that uh, útil in Spanish means uh, useful, but it means as well tool. So it's meant to be art as a tool referring to this sort of practice that could go beyond this supposed autonomy and beyond the symbolic representation of social issues to really use artistic strategies to deal with the specific local problems and fostering change. And in a way to make us reconsider how we behave in the world or imagine the world differently to the current uh, structures. And um, during the school, even in La Habana, they already activated some projects that later were included into the archive. But uh, she kept researching about this concept. And in 2010, the Panavi Museum invited her to make a solo exhibition. 
And uh, then she proposed instead to make a museum, a museum of Arte Util. And we started the research together for the archive. I entered directly to work with her uh, in 2012 uh, to start to, to compose this archive. And at that point, Tania Bruguera had already a list of projects that could illustrate this sort of practice. And, and she had a clear idea of some of the lines or characteristics that in a way could describe uh, this practice as an artistic movement. And, um, and Alessandra came in uh, during this process of research. She uh, was working in other projects in, in collaboration with the Panapi Museum. And uh, by chance, uh, we, start, we were sharing this space, actually the office, and we start to, to discuss about, you know, what Artudil was. And uh, yeah, kind of organically, we start to collaborate together. And um, at that point, there were already some historical projects in that list like a project from the 70s, like the farm from Boniola Cirque in San Francisco or homeless vehicle with the, from Christoph, Christoph Boditsko, sorry for my pronunciation, <laughs> uh, that Atania uh, knew uh, personally. And um, during the different states of the research, let's say that we started to come across other examples of artists, creators, and thinkers that had implemented and discussed uh, about the concept of arte util in different ways. So for us, it was like really like uh, getting or uh, putting together some pieces of a puzzle that uh, had always been there. And um, when Tanya was working at um, Queens Museum in New York, right before the exhibition at the Vanabe, she learned about other project called Use Useful Artwork by Ricardo Costa and Scott Barton in collaboration with uh, other artists and poets in the 1969 in New York, where they really consider art as a tool to improve living conditions in the city uh, by Madam street signs, placing them on the streets of New York uh, where they were missing. And at the same time, they were proposing that it would be a promenade, a poetry promenade uh, to walk uh, along this, you know, putting together all the letters of these signals. So in a way, we start to, to become aware that it was something that was very even bigger than we thought at the very beginning when we started research. And then we came up with other forerunners, like uh, artists like Pino Pochi in Italy, who wrote the manifest in Arte Utile in 1965, or Juan O'Gorman in Mexico, who in 1934 spoke about the difference between artistic art and useful art. So all these examples in a way um, were combined with the examples that were coming from the 19th century, mostly uh, because of the work and theories of John Ruskin against the consequence of industrialization and how the working class were living uh, and how the working class living conditions and the relation with art and life um, and the struggle that he was uh, doing to try to bring art education open to everyone. Um, in a way, became very fundamental for us. And um, it was mostly connected with what Alistair Hudson was doing at that moment, working uh, with Adam Sutherland and Greystyle Arts in the UK. So, and at the end, we started to, to we became this kind of, of body of research that was composed by different people in different organizations that we were all putting together all these pieces of the puzzle. 
before Arta Util, the projects that you had worked on uh, individually before that, can you give some examples of what you had already been doing in this vein? Uh, yeah, perhaps I can uh, I can explain also uh, a little bit how um, I came across the research that already uh, Hema was carrying on um, around the archive. So basically, uh, I was in Eindhoven because... Um, well, because my husband got a job there, so I moved with him too. Uh, and um, because I have been always working as a curator and, uh, let's say, practitioners, a practitioner in art about social engaged practices and collaborative art, for example, um, I already had some connection for in the city uh, and uh, at the museum. So when I arrived in Eindhoven in 2012, I started working um, with uh, um, with the museum uh, about um, organizing basically a symposium uh, and uh, uh, related activities such as studio visit, etc. In the city of Eindhoven, uh, and the project was called the Giant Step. Was actually organized by um, an organization, an Italian organization called Vessel. Uh, so let's say I was uh, the kind of uh, local agent for Vessel uh, at the Van Abbe Museum at the time. Um, so it was quite interesting because the idea was to understand uh, the, the influence or the relationship that uh, a museum have uh, has in a regional context, uh, especially the context of the city of Eindhoven, which is not, let's say, a big urban center, uh, for example, comparable to Amsterdam, where obviously uh, there are biggest uh, museums, more museums. But what's what's the difference between uh, having uh, a museum and what's the impact of the, a museum and the research of the museum uh, in a community which is a little bit smaller? Uh, so I was researching for that. And um, uh, Hema mentioned that we were sharing the, the office. Uh, and one day I saw that she started this research and she was looking at a book called Visible, um, edited by the Fondazione Pistola. Toletto, uh, which is another foundation in uh, in Italy, and one of my projects was there. Uh, so I was like, "Oh, nice! Perhaps we should uh, uh, we should talk about it over a coffee uh, because um, you know uh, we might find some other point of connection." And uh, and that uh, is how my let's say involvement with the project started. Uh, but uh, there is another kind of uh, funny coincidence. Um, when I was a student at the uh, University um, of, of Art and Architecture in Italy called the UAV in Venice, Tania Bruguera was one of the visiting professors there. So I already met her when I was uh, a student and... Um, uh, it was quite nice because we already had some exchanges, for example, and uh, of course, uh, it was many years before, but uh, she already had this idea of Arte Util in mind. Uh, so she was really trying to work with the students, for example, with us, in order to understand a little bit better uh, what this kind of uh, practice could uh, and would become <laughs> um so yeah that's uh, that was uh, that is how i approached the project basically did the project that was included in visible was that related to or did it come out of your time uh with tanya as a professor 
not really. Uh, the project that was involved in the publication uh, was basically uh, a series of projects, actually, that um, I created with a collective called Asparamente. Uh, we stayed active for like 10 years uh, and we, you know, like we started working together as students. And then, of course, you know, like when you really like working and you are really you have a lot of energy when you start working for such a, you know, like taxing project where uh, you are so young. But eventually we uh, we we worked together for 10 years. So basically the projects were more related to uh, understand um, the relationship that exists between uh, food production, food consumption and food distribution. Um, so let's say that they were not addressing uh, the climate emergency, but there were kind of uh, these projects that were analyzing a little bit this all this kind of commercial relationship to the production distribution of food, uh, but also how it's, um, uh, let's say, um, how it circulates in terms of import and export uh, in the European Union. Uh, but the, the structure of the book was quite interesting because um, each, let's say, emerging artist <laughs> at the time, we were still very young, um, was uh, put in dialogue with uh, a more established artist. And uh, we were put in dialogue with Bic uh, van der Poel. Uh, which is actually a Dutch collective uh, whose projects are also included in the Arte Util archive, and they were also part of the Arte, of the Museum of Arte Util. So you know, like when the the dots start to connect, uh, it's interesting. And then, of course, uh, the curator of the Visible project, Matteo Lucchetti and Judith Villander, are also um, part of the advisory board of the museum of the um, yeah of the archive of Arte Util. So, you know, like there are all these kind of interests that uh, through also, thanks also to the Museum of Artutil and the research that Tanya already activated came together kind of organically, like uh, Hema was saying uh, earlier. What is the difference between the archive and the museum? Would you describe how that looks and how it's changed since it started? I think, um, in fact, um, at the very beginning, the Museum of Arte Util that was the, mostly an exhibition that was really trying to transform, you know, literally the institution that hosted in a real Museum of Arte Util in something else. Um, it was kind of the, the reason on the, or the alibi to expand the whole idea of the archive. So at the beginning, uh, when Tanya... Uh, proposed this uh, to the museum was thinking that she wanted to use the, um, the exhibition as really uh, an excuse to take all the resources and the, the cultural uh, legitimacy of the, the institution to really go deep into this research and putting, uh, you know, like different resources and bringing different people together to really make this collective effort to compose an archive that could be, you know, like building this history around these practices. So uh, in a way, uh, the exhibition became the first activation of the archive. And uh, it was really trying to challenge and question uh, the institution and to rethink the role the institutions uh, have and how they operate in the 21st century. And uh, that, mostly kind of, of um, questioning at the point that they have been 
conventionally focused on exhibiting art objects and keeping, you know, the modernist approach. And um, so it was about to, to rethink the role of, of institutions, but at the same time, through the archive, we wanted to rethink about the role of art and how uh, art has been, connect, has been connected with social and political issues uh, in different contexts and in different moments historically. So um, it was a matter of trying to really challenge um, the way that the, 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 the history has been uh, constructed as well and the narratives that uh, has been generated. But at the same time, it was about to think how institutions have been in a way perpetuating uh, this system. So um, I think... Um, we normally analyze, um, we always start to discuss about Arte Util or to tell about Arte Util, telling about the exhibition because it was like the moment that we uh, uh, did uh, start the research and then we really using the archive already start to push, you know, like the way that the exhibitions are conceived and uh, the way that they relate, relate with their context and with the communities and uh, with the publics to even think about the position of a spectator and even thinking about the position of, of the artist and the author, not just uh, within the, the conception of, of uh, the projects, but really thinking about the ownership or authorship of the exhibition itself as, you know, as a display. So in a way, uh, the exhibition helped us to, to push further a lot of boundaries and that were in a way very connected with our own um, practice. And uh, we start to operate differently within the exhibition. Like we really share the curators. Uh, we had, you know, like uh, curators um, that were uh, part of the Van Aven Museum, like uh, Annie Fletcher, Nick Aikens, and of course, Charles Esch. And uh, we had uh, Annette Aylens that was part of the museum coordinating the whole exhibition. But we, uh, Alessandra and me, we were like the researchers, but we were as well uh, working with a collective of designers called uh, Construct Lab, composed by collective work, Bure de Toots and Alex Romer, and students from the Design, Design Art Academy and Indoven. And then during the whole process, we were discussing with Tom Finkelper who at that time was a director of the Queens Museum in Karani, New York, and uh, with Grace L. Arts and Alistair Hudson. So the whole idea became uh, something that, uh, that was uh, already sharing a process of, of making decisions and uh, sharing ideas and suggestions and really uh, questioning our, our, our own position within the structure of the museum and making an exhibition. And um, the exhibition... Uh, was presented uh, with, a, we present the selection of case studies that we had put together at that, by that moment, making this uh, invitation to uh, um, an advisory board of 25 um, curators, artists, and, and academics that were already um, connected with social engaged practices to suggest us projects from different geographies. And we were, we made this international open call of projects. So we put together like uh, almost 200 uh, cases studies and the museum was the the first time that we put it out there and we activated uh, just uh, kind of performing an exhibition that was composed by no artworks but really 
by uh, these cards of the archive and uh, documentation and interviews with artists and participants of the projects. And um, the museum was presented uh, through uh, the lens of the strategies of, of the artists. So in a way, we want to think that the exhibition could be useful in many ways, not just as um, like the physical space, but really to giving strategies through the archive already to the visitors. So it was divided in different rooms, like use it yourself, institutional repurpose, allegal, uh, a space hijack, open access, legislative change, and reformer capital. So um, the museum was not organized under chronological criteria by, by over tactics. And um, we invite some artists to stay there in residence, like Wohen Closure, Nuria Well, or Laurie Reynolds. And uh, we connected and activated a lot of activities in the city. And um, a certain point to really think about the way that, that the spectator, how to transform spectators into users. We really wanted to, to push the public to behave differently within the white cube. So we asked them to use the space in as, way, as many ways as they would like. And we um, opened up the, the possibility for them to, on one side, they could choose to be users instead of spectators. So they could get a free entrance to the museum. And uh, because supposedly they would come more than once to, to really use the exhibition in many ways. And on the other side, we uh, make an open call for them to propose activities and booking the spaces of the gallery and uh, to use it. And at the beginning, I remember the first month, uh, nobody was, you know, booking any place or any space in the, in the galleries. We even received this uh, series of complaints because uh, there were no artworks in the exhibition. But, uh, but then things became, you know, like to move. And the last month we had, you know, full agenda and a lot of things were happening at the museum, even without any, you know, previous reservations. So we remember just walking there and see, you know, a youth band, you know, like making a video, a music video or uh, debate of a classroom, you know, high, high uh, secondary school uh, students that came in without asking anything and just took over one space and started a debate. So it was very uh, inspiring in a way. And I think um, when we closed the exhibition, we realized, um, on one side, we realized that um, the exhibition itself became a boundary for the archive, that we really needed to, to expand the archive outside uh, any institution. It could be not attached to a museum, but really think about something that could be a platform, a web, or thinking about the archive as, as a nomadic device that could be used anywhere and by everyone. So we, in a way, um, kind of expand or, or extend this kind of curatorial approach of, of horizontal structure. And we start to activate the archive uh, in, with different organizations. And at the same time, we built, in a way, this, this we had already, I think, started during this process all these networks and collaborations already start this conversation that later became the Association of Artiuti. So a kind of this um, autonomous entity that is really composed by different institutions, uh, practitioners, creators, artists, 
that are just, you know, like having together the, the feeling that we should keep this horizontal way of moving and organically uh, activating the archive. And at the same time, this willingness to really questioning, you know, uh, everything about how the system is done and how we could really change it. All of that, is that uh, how I, I understand the, the term Museum 3.0 is culminated in all of that? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're shaking your head, yes. So uh, then my next point that I, I was so interested in from the beginnings of this project is that it, you created a, a vocabulary. How was it decided that that was needed? And, and then you commissioned someone to create it. And how did that evolve? I saw there was an event uh, where you invited uh, the public to come and have dialogue about the terms. And so I was curious about the event and, and how the, the vocabulary came about. So, yeah, um, it's actually a very important point because basically when we were discussing uh, Arte Util, um, but it started really uh, like the, the, the conversational language started really from the definition itself because Arte Util could be translated in English as useful art. But actually, the translation is not really precise because útil in Spanish means also tool. So it's not really useful art, but it's more art as a tool. So we understood that uh, it was quite important to maintain the, the definition in Spanish. But also, I think it was something that Tanya was really fond on because um, it was basically... Uh, forcing critics to recognize that another kind of tradition from another place uh, um, is worth it has to be recognized and has to be recognized using the original um, definition, like the original language where it comes from, arte util. So that's uh, that's is uh, the really first uh, debate that um, we had internally about the use of language. Um, and then when we were discussing all the practices um, and some projects that also um, Hema was uh, talking about earlier, we realized that it was not easy to describe the nature of uh, Arte Util, of this practice, or to analyze um, its complexity and specific qualities just using the language uh, that we used conventionally to describe, for example, a painting or a sculpture or a photograph, right? So um, Tanya already named some specific terms uh, so to substitute conventional uh, words, um, which are part of the of the um, criteria, for example, that uh, we used in order to, uh, you know, like um, remind ourselves what arte util means and what, it, what does it mean as a practice. Uh, for example, user, right? So the public or the audience is not a public audience anymore because there is an, another level of uh, involvement with the, with the artwork uh, framed as arte util, and then uh, they become users. Um, and then there is also another word, which is initiator, which is, again, part of the, the criteria, instead, which, you know, like substitute author, for example. Uh, and then we have one-to-one -one scale, which is a concept that uh, is uh, included in uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen Rice's lexicon. And then I'm, uh, I'm uh, arriving to, you know, like answering um, a little bit more the question. So basically, 
um, these new words helped us to describe uh, what Arteutil was. Uh, but then we didn't want that it stayed in this kind of, uh, you know, like curatorial or theoretical circle. So uh, the museum commissioned uh, Stephen Wright, who is uh, a professor and um, a philosopher, uh, to uh, write uh, a lexicon of usership. And obviously also Stephen Wright has been working around the idea of usership and the uses of art from, for many, many many years. So he already has uh, have like a practice of uh, experimenting with language, but also with concepts related to usership. Um, so um, basically he wrote uh, Towards a Lexicon of Usership, which is a, a book that is also free uh, to down for download from our website. And uh, it's quite interesting because the way he structured uh, the book uh, it's uh, about it's um, try to uh, you know like um, highlight different ways of using these words. So there are concepts that should be retired. For example, spectator, and then obviously there is a definition of spectator. Or, uh, for example, uh, other words that needs to be retired is like autonomy. Uh, it's also like quite provocative, right? But it's actually uh, a very good exercise to, uh, you know, like focus some concept and also focus some, uh, mm, you know, like specificity that Arteutil has with respect to, for example, uh, social engagement practices or like community art or new genre public art, etc., etc. And other concepts that uh, mm, are in the book are mode of usership. So are basically the ways uh, people could approach these projects, for example, through uh, piggybacking or through hacking. Uh, and then uh, the other um, words are emerging concepts. And those emerging concepts are what uh, uh, helped us again a lot because it's, again, some specific uh, ways of approaching art uh, under the lens of usership. And for example, Museum, uh, museum 3.0 is one of these uh, emerging concepts, but also one-to-one -one scale. Uh, and, you know, like there are many more, but um, there are a couple or like, you know, like a bunch of them that uh, are really um, fundamental for, uh, you know, like understanding uh, and talking about this practice, not just understanding, really talking about this practice. For example, when I have to talk about uh, what I do in Italian, <laughs> I don't have the words. <laughs> so uh, because like this, um, you know, like it's very interesting because like all this project uh, has been carried on by different people coming from different places. But obviously uh, we use mostly English. So uh, we we also started to uh, translate, you know, like this kind of concepts in our own language, for example, because otherwise it's difficult to know. There is this kind of uh, discrepancy between uh, what you would like to describe uh, as arte util uh, in a language that is not, for example, English. In Spanish, obviously, um, it's more, let's say, developed the, the conversation also because the lexicon has been translated also in Spanish. There are already many translations of the lexicon. There is Portuguese, Spanish, uh, Polish. 
over the course of the years, I translated many uh, words in Italian, <laughs> many entries in Italian, because when I have to uh, do some presentation uh, in Italian, you know, like I have to find a way to navigate the translations and not to be kind of lost in translation precisely. So, yeah, but just to say that the, the lexicon is uh, this little book uh, that has been uh, staying with us for almost 10 years now. And uh, every time we read something, or at least for me, every time I read again about definition, I understand a little bit better what we are trying to say with this project and what we are trying to do. So it's um, it's quite important. And every time is a new, you know, like discovery. <laughs> One of the retired terms that I was curious about was um, expert culture. Would you touch on that, the reason that particular term, like what it meant to you and why it needed to be retired? And is there something that took its place? Well, it's interesting that you asked for that uh, term because it's a controversial term in a way because something that happens with the Arteutil and, um, and through the association we have realized more and more is that that's, the archive is alive and the practice is alive Things are changing as well, you know, at the same time that the world is changing. So we need to really rethink and reconsider a lot of, of initial statements or initial positions. And at the beginning thought in terms of at least how I understand, because that the, the actually the lexicon, if you read it, you will find that it has very possibilities for your, your own, you know, uh, interpretation. But as I understand this term, it was a kind of a provocation thinking about how the fields, you know, uh, were always defined, you know, by the expert uh, approach. And uh, in the certain point, it was making this kind of very um, compartmental approach to the knowledge and to the and even making this kind of levels, you know, uh, I would say even um, in the way that we approach to the knowledge. So let's say that maybe we could consider that an academic knowledge, it's more important or valuable than local knowledge of someone that has been, you know, like working in a, in a specific context for many years. So this uh, expert culture was in a way trying to, to touch that differentiation and how actually Arte Util is based in the very idea of collaboration and to really, you know, like uh, make this kind of crossover fields crossover knowledge, crossover expertise. So it shouldn't be this distinction, you know, between all these uh, kinds of knowledge. But uh, what is happening now is, um, I think um, I was mentioning before, that Stephen Wright is making a, a new edition of the uh, lexicon, is working on it, and he wants to revisit some of these, uh, these terms. And one of the the that he really worries him, uh, especially it's uh, about those kind of who he would like to really work on it again is this one. Because let's say that during the past of the time as well, he used uh, in, in the lexicon, he used a lot of, of references and connections with our own relation with technology and how we use social media. And uh, he integrated these analogies in, in the definitions. And um, using that definition, this analogy as well, we have seen how social media has provided as well like a platform to really mix all uh, kinds of, of thoughts. And sometimes uh, now 
um, it's becoming that you cannot really distinguish what is real and what is not, and you know, like the post truth and all this uh, spectrum. So, in a way, uh, the idea is that maybe now we should reconsider the idea of expert culture, not in terms of, of levels of knowledge, but maybe in terms of a specific knowledge about the specific issues. So um, I don't know if I clarify uh, too much about that because it's in progress, but it's an interesting term that, uh, to consider how it evolves itself, the concept, with the own practice and how the practice is connected with, uh, you know, the contemporary issues that are affecting us. With the work that you both do right now with Arda Util, does it include things like helping with create this new lexicon? And, and would you describe what else it is that's within your scope of work? So uh, let's say that what we we do uh, is not a very structured in the sense that through our work with the association, we, we try always to question how we work under the lens of usership. Uh, so let's say that we are those who have access to the email box, for example. Uh, therefore, we are aware of projects that come in through, for example, the constant open call that we have on the webs on the website. <laughs> Uh, however, we are really trying to redistribute ownership, right, uh, of the project using pretty much um, the network that we have been developing since 2013. So um, we we don't we don't necessarily work in a try to come up with new terms, but of course we use a lot of the terms that are, for example, on the lexicon because we try really to apply to the practice themselves. When, for example, we teach. Uh, a lot uh, in uh, different schools and art schools and university. And then, of course, uh, like this practice of teaching, uh, it's we don't see it like we are the, the expert that we just <laughs> mentioned and the students are just there to absorb what we say. But we try to do, um, uh, you know, like to follow a sort of critical pedagogical um, path where the students are also experts because we are talking about their projects most, most of the time. Uh, for example, this is uh, this is one line. Um, so about what I was mentioning, the redistribution of ownership, um, we also sustain our work uh, through independent grants, for example, uh, dedicated to specific projects. And uh, in my specific case right now, I'm doing a PhD looking at Arteutil case studies at the intersection of art and pedagogy. So, of course, this research uh, helped me also to maintain the archive in terms of uh, uh, when we use, for example, a case study um, as an example in class, we always check the links that are still active, or we sometimes look for new interviews to add to the website um, and all these kind of things. And um, and then uh, um, perhaps I can mention this experience that we had, uh, Hema uh, started uh, earlier saying something about the, an independent project that we curated right after the Museum of, uh, of Arte Util was over, which was called Broadcasting the Archive. 
And this was a project that was quite, uh, you know, like a sort of natural consequence of the Museum of Arte Util. And uh, it started, we started it in 2015, and I think uh, it lasted three years. Um, so we designed this project in collaboration, of, obviously, with the Van Abbe Museum uh, and other institutions, um, because we, we were really uh, interested in exploring principles of Arte Util beyond the, the exhibition, for example. Um, so we were also uh, keen to emancipate usership around the Arte Util archive because he was there uh, online. I mean, during the exhibition, he was in the space. So he had like a sort of a physical manifestation. But then once the exhibition was over, the archive extremely on its website. So how is it possible to emancipate the usership of the archive even beyond uh, the museum and the exhibition? Uh, and also we... Um, we were looking forward to learning from some projects that uh, we included in the archive. Uh, and this, I think, it was what pushed us to really uh, continue with this project. So... Um, yeah, so we developed this uh, here program of uh, tour, let's say a touring program of uh, uh, workshops and uh, talks, uh, meetings or informal conversation, etc., etc. Uh, and uh, we ended up, of course, obviously some other organization in the Netherlands, but also we were in Belgium, in Spain, in the UK, in the States. Uh, in Italy, for example, and uh, we started to understand that the idea of Arte Util could not just be considered as a sort of new movement, as it was, uh, let's say, framed at the beginning, but it could become uh, a methodology uh, in, a, in a methodology itself to teach in a different way. Um, so we tried to develop a program while we were actually doing it. So uh, the, the implementation began before the plan was, uh, we, before we had a plan. Um, and really our objective was to talk about how to break the physical and metaphorical walls of the institution. Um, so through the archive dissemination. Um, and then we saw that the, the, the impact was quite interesting because uh, right after, or let's say parallel to that, because uh, uh, in this project were so many people involved, like also Alistair was mentioning in a previous episode, so each of us, I think, uh, took a specific, um, you know, like concept and tried to develop this specific concept in different ways with, you know, like the um, the availability that each of us has. For example, I think for uh, Hema and I, it's very important to work uh, within the institution of education. Uh, for Alistair, for example, it's very important to still continue working in uh, art institutions, museums in a specific case. For Tanya is another kind of, uh, uh, you know, like interest. Um, so I think that, uh, and this is what, um, let's say, um, never, it, it's, it's, I think it's a project that is always in transformation because it has been used by many in different ways. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if I kind of digress too much from uh, from your, your answer, but that's to say that also the idea of the association, the Arte Util, because 
because the whole idea of art util is to highlight that change is possible through art means that somehow we cannot really um, replicate the structure that we know if we want to change them. So also the idea of the association, it's a flexible idea. It's like an idea in transformation. It's not like we don't have a legal framework because otherwise we would be trapped in this kind of mechanism that we know already. So how can we, how can we use, again, this idea of the association, but to do something else? Uh, and I guess uh, it's, of course, it's uh, never easy because when you don't have a structure, you always have to reinvent yourself and the way you work, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it has been, I think, what the strength, right, of this project and the fact that, uh, yes, there is an initiator. Yes, there are some people that were involved since the very beginning, but there are so many other uh, institutions, for example, and individuals that approached the project as they wanted and they developed uh, a new things. Uh, so, for example, the offices of Arte Util, how different institutions, uh, but also informal groups, try to activate the archive in their places using different formats. For example, I'm just going to mention uh, the example of the Office of Arte Util uh, in Salt, in Istanbul. So they decided to activate the office because they wanted to uh, research about usership and social engagement and arte util practices uh, in the context of Istanbul and then of Turkey and then of the neighbor country. So they, they developed the project for two years. Uh, each year was focused first on Turkey and the second year was uh, focused on the neighbor countries. Uh, but the format that they decided to, um, to use at the very beginning was through a radio program in Turkish. So that was quite uh, interesting because they were talking about a case study from the archive together with a, a practitioner or an artist from um, the city or from the region. And they were trying to, you know, like understand what uh, Arte Util means in their context. And they also translated the archive in Turkish, for example. And also with them, the, the, the question of how to translate Arte Util in Turkish uh, like it was crucial for them uh, and for the project itself. So, and for example, when this uh, activation happens, Hema and I, we always uh, try to, um, um, you know, like understand the best way to activate the project. Uh, so we just share our experience, but we really don't want to say you should do this and then you should do that because that's the right thing to do. We actually say this is our experience, but obviously you are the expert of uh, what you would like to do with this project. So let's have a dialogue. Do many people show up on uh, an application and already have their project running and then others show up and say, we have just an idea and does it range between the two? Mostly um, we receive on one side, we receive um, the approach of some organizations or individuals who wants to activate or use the archive. And they sometimes they ask if it's possible. And, um, and we say, of course, that's the, you know, <laughs> that's the reason why the archive exists. But um, we just provide, as Alessandra mentioned, some, you know, like some expertise, what we have done so far, but uh, to make them 
to understand that it's pretty open to them to use it in a way that they consider will work better. So they just to be useful for the context. And uh, so they should know or should imagine how it could be, you know, activated in their own space. But uh, on the other side, we have like the archive, it's always open to the possibility to anyone to, to propose projects. And the idea is that um, it should be projects that are, have been already implemented. So if it's a proposal of a project that they would like to develop, it's not going to be considered into the archive as to be included because the whole idea of the archive has been, and the Arteutil itself, a place with this idea of make things tangible, really, like the transformation should already happen to, to provide this inspiration, no? So, uh, but what we do is that um, mostly, for example, uh, to explain you a little bit how the process works, is that when we receive these projects, um, uh, it's mostly Alessandra or me who are really, you know, checking the new projects are coming, and then we organize like periodically meetings with the rest of the association. And um, sometimes, you know, like more people is available, sometimes uh, small groups. And we try always to, to connect it in a way with the context that the projects are coming from. So for example, if we have colleagues from that country or connected with that region, we try to, you know, to involve them in the, in the discussion. And then what we do is that we analyze the projects looking through the, the criteria. So in a way, it's like it give, uh, give us like a first approach to the project to see if it fits with these kind of ideas or lines that RTUT is proposing. And um, normally we get a lot of questions. <laughs> so we get back to them, to them and we start this conversation to know more about the project. And uh, after having all the information that we consider them, we make the decision if it's going to be included, if it fits, this easy, if it fits with the criteria, they are included, if not, not. But what we normally, um, what happens normally is that it starts a conversation again with this artist about the possibilities of transformation or how they would like to uh, move on with the projects. So in a way, it's always this uh, kind of, yeah, it's, it's a tool for, for reflecting about the practices itself. So in a way, we always have this discussion with the, um, the association and with the artists that are proposing projects. And on the other side, another interesting, I think, um, uh, effect is that every time that we have an activation, like uh, an office of Arteudil or an institution decides to use the archive to connect with their local groups or to touch a specific issues, social issues, Normally, what happens is if it's an institutional uh, uh, approach, we always ask them if they could make an open call of projects. So in a way, they could expand the research in their own context. And um, on the other side, when it's about uh, like uh, offices or any activation of the project, what happens is, or what, even when we use it with the students, we normally get more uh, proposals of projects because people that knows about Arteuti, they get they they get engaged with the idea and they propose projects that maybe they are not their own projects, but projects that they know that exist and they think that could fit with the idea of Arteuti. So it's something that keeps growing organically and you could feel the flow coming when something's happening because you start to see, you know, like the mailbox, it starts to get <laughs> ready. <laughs> and sometimes there are moments that there are nothing coming, you know, during months because things are more quiet. For the 
project, Please Love Austria. There's also a film, Foreigners Out, that was uh, screened at Museum Arte Utile. Would you describe that project and how the film and the project fit together and are in the archive? So the project, uh, it's by um, the artist, Austrian artist, Christoph uh, Schlingesif. I hope I pronounced the name correctly. <laughs> and uh, it was quite interesting because it was developed, I think, uh, in the early 2000. And it was about creating a sort of um, big brother uh, where all the participants would be asylum seekers. And uh, it was organized like the Big Brother. So like participants were all asylum seekers. They were always online or always on um, um, on screen, let's say. So the public could see them, could watch them. And eventually they decided who got uh, out and who got in. And the winner would be the one getting the papers, I think. So the obviously this was staged, but because there was uh, this such an hysteria uh, hysteria about asylum seekers at that time and i think at that time uh, the austrian government was uh, quite a right wing uh, so like the project was really like um, kind of perceived that it created this kind of division and conflictual division uh, in, in, in the society. I mean, in the, the city of Vienna, first of all, because it was, uh, there was a, this kind of installation where the participants were staying in this kind of uh, um, house, uh, which was kind of a container in the square, uh, and it generated a lot of debate. So there was always people around, like uh, uh, people that really thought that this was uh, outrageous and other that were like, no, this, uh, this is what uh, is happening. The society is going to that direction. So we have to pay attention to that. But at a certain point, um, I think the, the, the strength of the project was that it wasn't clear if it was true or it, was, or it wasn't, right? So uh, there was a winner, and supposedly this person should have uh, uh, gained the paper to, to stay in Austria, but it was staged in the end. It was not a real uh, big brother with a winner. And I think uh, when we decided to, um, to, to include the project in the archive, it was because, um, first of all, uh, it, it was because it was creating a beneficial outcome, supposedly a beneficial outcome for the person would, uh, would, who would be the winner because the you know like the papers like the uh, the uh, the asylum let's say to to stay in Austria was a quite a tangible beneficial outcome but also um, i think uh, it was uh, at the moment where we were trying to build the archive uh, and all with including projects um, that would um, you know, like that they would also stay a little bit more in the representation because the idea at the beginning was really to make a point that artists use art as we are in a different um, in a different stage, let's say, with the research around the archive. So at the beginning, we also included projects like Mehema um, mentioned earlier. The idea was really also to include pro art projects uh, that circulate mostly in the realm of art 
in order to highlight that there is an interest by artists in using art as a tool, even if it's still in the context of the museum, for example, or like a festival, or in this case of a performance, but it's a prototype to do to develop more this idea, right? And I think the case of Christoph Schinger's lift for, was precisely that one. Um, obviously, I think there is also perhaps another aspect that is worth mentioning, uh, and um, it's, it's so interesting to look uh, at this project now, 20 years later, and to see how still is relevant. It can also be violent, so it's very controversial. We had a category in the Arte Util, uh, in Museum of Arte Util, which was allegal, which is this Spanish words that highlights when something is not completely illegal. So it stays in this gray zone because there's no law that uh, regulate that act, for example. So if you do so, it's not an illegal act. It's not legal, but it's illegal because it stays in this kind of gray zone. So until uh, a legislator comes and say, mm, we have to, to, you know, like kind of uh, create a rule for that, then you can do it. It stays in this kind of gray area. And art is actually a really, really, um, with the law, for example. Uh, so we have a lot of projects that are really at the boundaries of that. And I think um, Please Love Austria was precisely also tackling this kind of, uh, this kind of laws and this kind of rules. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, like a sort of, uh, it was testing the temperature of um Austrian society at the time. Uh, I think some some uh, at a certain point in the film, there are some activists that they are trying to free the the participants yeah. from the from the from the house from the from the game. So yeah, because of course yeah, we, we really wanted to create a, a sort of debate, and in the exhibition we also had the room of controversies where we were kind of discussing projects that. Either we didn't uh, agree on uh, included in the archive, or they were posing this kind of uh, ethical uh, ethical issues. Uh, so it was better to open the debate rather than decide ourselves, because as I said, we like Arteutil is not about the, doing the right thing or the good thing or the best thing, but it's really about highlighting that art has an impact. Uh, and we have a responsibility on putting our artworks uh, into the, the world. Are there other projects that you find particularly resonate with each of you? I have, uh, it's very difficult to, <laughs> to make a, a selection because in fact, um, we have been connected with some of these projects for a long time. And there is, you know, like I think already like a more personal connection with them. But um, I think, for example, there is a prayer that um, I, I was always uh, in fact, and it's about the group uh, Ala Plastica uh, in Argentina. It's one of the, you know, it happens in the early 2000s, and Ala Plastica is one of the, in, the pioneers of, of social engaged practices in, in Argentina. And they developed this project called uh, Alternative Energy for Isla Paulino. That it's a Paulino island. It's situated, situated at the banks of the, the La Plata Harbor at the canal. 
and um, although it is it is a river um, that has been contaminated and exploited by petrochemical industries since the late uh, 19th century, this island didn't have electricity, you know, in the 2000s, and uh, and the people living there they didn't have any agency against against these companies and against what was happening no, in their environment, and Ala Plastica. Um, start these meetings with them and encourage the group of inhabitants to organize themselves into an association and to manage uh, the installation of a solar solar panels. And um, the idea was to, on one side, to think about how to stop the expansion of these petrochemicals and uh, to really think and create a protected natural uh, landscape, you know, and cultural landscape, because they have really like uh, specific uh, cultural conditions they they uh, conserve like uh, early traditions of uh, agriculture you know and ways of, of fishing from the 19th century so they they start to think together with that and the strategy was to involve a community uh, formed uh, by not just the neighbors but the associations and religion religious groups or policymakers and uh, collectives, the local institutions, and then bring experts uh, from different fields uh, to think together with them, political experts, biologists, engineers, artists. And um, they together installed, uh, yeah, named uh, the, the, got the funding with different campaigns that they organized to install the panels. And um, I, I have uh, been in contact with them recently, and this community still is pretty active defending their natural environment that is a still very thread. And uh, it's something that started there and it still keeps going now with another form. And now uh, Ala Plastica is not working uh, there anymore, but they have this organization called um, Casa Rio Lab that it's actually a more bigger organization connecting different organizations, you know, in the whole uh, area to think together and rethink about the position in the um, uh, in the design of the territories. So for me, it's uh, very relevant in terms of how uh, they have put together, you know, this group of people, but at the same time, they have this ability to stay behind, not to take the position, you know, or the ownership about the project, but really give them the space to develop their ideas and, and give them you know, the idea of the agency that they have actually and how they took it, this group of, of inhabitants, and it's still active. So, yeah, I think it's a beautiful project. What would you say to someone who doesn't understand why art needs to be put in this useful aspect? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, I think, at least for me, I think that... Uh, Maybe it's important to consider what what does it mean art for each one. I mean, what what does art for you and how activates you in a way. So for me, um, if we think about you know, if we put about the useful word for a while, that it's very scary for a lot of people to think about the, together with art. Um, you could uh, perceive that actually, what art does. Um, is to, to help us to look differently at the things, to, to really uh, provide us with uh, another perspectives, with another approaches. And um, it makes us always to, to consider, 
you know, to start to think. So in a way, it's, a, it's, a, it's art always activates your imagination and activates, you know, other possibilities um, uh, to think uh, about the specific issues. So for me, it's like a question, why not to bring this quality into, you know, of artistic quality into whatever is happen, happening around us? Why not? If actually art it's, it's, has been always a tool for thinking for all of us, as it is, uh, you know, like philosophy or science, it's a way to look at the world and uh, why not to activate it, you know, in terms that could bring in these other possibilities. So for me then, if you put the useful inside again and you think uh, that it's becoming useful, it means that it just not will activate your you know, imagination in terms of what could be possible, but what is possible already. So it's really giving you these uh, tangible examples of transformation. And I think that's the most inspiring <laughs> thing that you could receive to see how it has been done already. So why not you could do it by yourself or you know, initiate this transformation? So for me, it's really... Art is always a call for thinking and art util is a call for act- action, I would say. How do you see Art Util, its mission facilitating justice? Well, I think facilitating justice, it's um, really, uh, you know, like a, a, a huge topic. But uh, again, um, I think what Art Util highlights, it's uh, the need of working in collaboration with others uh, and then leave the project to develop through usership according to you know like the the need let's say so i think that the the collaborative approach of the practice is already a great step toward you know like changing the also the paradigm of how uh, artists the the idea of artist genius right that uh, is this person that works alone in the studio um disconnected from society etc or in total autonomy etc etc so i think that working with uh, this kind of collaborative and collective approach of course takes time um, but also it counterfacts the acceleration of the art world for example and it goes against the culture of the event making uh, and through usership um, with others I think um, it's already one of the keys to uh, for, in facilitating justice precisely because uh, there is always a collaborative approach uh, that goes beyond the art context. Um, and then again, uh, I could answer the question, for, ex- for example, mentioning some uh, some case studies or some projects that uh, we we came across or like we work with. Uh, there is, um, for example, the project by Lori jo- um, Lori Jo Reynolds in collaboration with uh, uh, other artists, prisoners, uh, men that were formerly incarcerated in uh, Tams, uh, and the project is called Tams Year Ten. Um, so the Tams is, uh, was a supermax prison in southern Illinois in the United States. So basically, uh, the, the group, which was organized by Lori Jo Reynolds, asked prisoners through their relatives uh, what photos they would like to have to hang on their walls. And they did so because this prison was supposed to be open for just one year. But then... Uh, 
like in in 10 years of his existence, the prison one third of the prisoners were there for for the whole uh, period of 10 years and this prison is quite um, i mean it was declared uh, going against the human rights because uh, the prisoners were living in total isolation just they couldn't see anybody uh, they were just in this kind of uh, their room in their cell uh, without anybody, they couldn't talk to anybody, they couldn't see anybody, they just had one hour uh, per day for exercising, but alone again. And of course, they were supposed to be there for one year, and then some of them were for, there for 10 years. So through the campaign, uh, they, you know, like raised the, pro- the question of violation of uh, human rights. And uh, eventually the, the governor, Pat Quinn, at that time, introduced a reform plan in 2012, and he proposed the closing the facility the, rea- the year after. And I think this was quite uh, important because, you know, like through the project, through the campaign, um, it was possible to, to close the prison. And this is, for example, one of the strongest examples uh, when, again, uh, art intervenes in, uh, in, in, in the legislative change in this case and uh, facilitate justice for the prisoners that were in a facility where the basic uh, conditions were respected. There will be a link in the show notes to the Arta Util website to learn more. If you'd like to share your thoughts about this or any of the other podcast episodes, please take a screenshot of the episode to share on social media and tag Warfare of Art and Law Podcast. Or you can email me at stephanie at warfareofartandlaw.com. Until next time, this is Stephanie Drotty bringing you Warfare of Art and Law. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. What are your plans for the second Saturday of this month? Perhaps consider joining in for a discussion about art, culture, and social issues. Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. And every second Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, I host the Second Saturday Art and Justice Gathering, an online call that explores a range of topics from artists who might inspire to legal decisions that might infuriate, all with the aim of sparking dialogue about social justice and promoting creative thinking. If interested, please email me at stephanie at warfareofartandlaw.com.